0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come his reign in our lives, where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns.
1: I remember a long time ago when my oldest daughter was just five years old, we were at the Troy campus, just finished the 1130 service. And we were in the lobby and, you know, people mill about the lobbies, sort of like how you guys do at the end of the service, just sit and talk or stand and talk and you move to the lobby and talk. We were doing that and people had started to leave and we were still talking and we had just taken our eyes off of her just for a moment, just to talk to somebody. And all of a sudden we turn around and she's gone. She's like nowhere to be seen. So we're like, this is church, right? It'll be okay, Right? Maybe. And so we look in the lobby. She's not in the lobby. We go into the sanctuary. She's not in the sanctuary. We go back down the children's wing, thinking she went back to play with toys. She's not there. She's not in the bathroom. She's not upstairs. She's not anywhere. And then all of a sudden your mind is reeling with all of these things that your mind is concocting when you're desperate, right? All the things that can go wrong, all the places that this thing could go to, and you're like, you're freaking out. We're outside thinking maybe she went outside and we're looking all over. Other people are helping her, trying to find out where she is. And we're like, she's nowhere. But for the long story short, she was under the stairs at the north entrance, quietly coloring her Sunday school play- paper, oblivious to the fact that her parents were going nuts trying to find her. That thing lasted probably 10 minutes, Maybe. It felt like a lifetime. Have you ever been desperate? Desperate to do anything, go anywhere, talk to anyone. The word desperate is a powerful word. We use that word because there's usually attached to an urgent need or an urgent desire. We use it in extreme cases. Like they drove to the Mayo Clinic because they were desperate. Do you have anyone I can talk to? I'm desperate. I'll do anything. I'm so desperate. Have you had those times in your life where desperation has overruled all other senses and has become a singular focus where you're doing everything you can to find a solution to that despair and to that desperation? Perhaps... In your case, it's not an issue of missing children. Perhaps for you, it's disease or perhaps even death. You're facing the prospect of death for yourself or for a loved one, and you're desperate to find a solution. Do anything. Go anywhere to find a solution to your despair. Desperate people take action because desperation generates action. Today we're finishing a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Life. And we've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, chapters 3, 4, and 5, and we've seen Jesus appear on the scene and proclaim that the kingdom is here. And he has proceeded to explain that by the miracles he's done, by the teachings he's given, by the things that he's done, amazing the crowds. And, and we've seen as Jesus ministers here on earth that sin has been pushed back by people being delivered of, of, of sickness, by demons being, being cast out of people, by nature itself listening to the voice of its creator. And we've seen Jesus doing some amazing things, drawing crowds after crowds to him as he explains that the kingdom of God is here. Today, we are going to be in Mark chapter 5 as we finish this series. We're in verses 21 to 43. So a good time, perhaps, to turn in your Bibles there. But we find a, another Markan sandwich You know what a sandwich is. It's a slice of meat and cheese inside two pieces of bread. Mark does this nine times in his gospel where he inserts a story inside of another story. We saw this back in chapter 4. We see it again here. We have a story that's happening and all of a sudden there's an interruption. Another story gets inserted and then the first story plays out. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at what happens when desperate people take desperate measures to find solutions? What happens when despair meets the kingdom of God? What happens when our desperation intersects with the Son of God? If we're dealing with those kinds of issues, I'm here to tell you that Jesus rules and reigns over disease and death, amen? Jesus rules and reigns over disease and death. I want to read for you the first couple of verses which introduce the first story. Then we're going to look at the interrupted story, the second story that's in the middle. And then we're going to go back to the first story again. So I'm in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse number 21. And when Jesus had crossed again to the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Last week, if you remember, Pastor Billy was talking about Jesus and his disciples on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had just set this demon-possessed man free. And the, and the people of that region came and, and they were upset with Jesus and begged him to get out of there. <laughs> to leave. Because of what happened to the demon-possessed man but most likely because of what happened to the herd of pigs. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get back in the boat. They they never stick around where they're not wanted. And they go back to the other side, most likely to Capernaum. We're not sure. But he gets there. He gets out of the boat with his disciples. And a, a massive crowd shows up and surrounds him like is typical. But in the middle of the crowd, there's a man who is desperate and he comes His name is Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. He falls at the feet of Jesus. That's unusual. And he begs Jesus, come to my house. My little girl is dying. Would you come and heal her? Jesus says, sure, I'll come. And so this crowd and Jesus and Jairus start to move to Jairus' house. And as they do, they're interrupted by another desperate story. We have a desperate woman who is reaching out to touch Jesus. What happens when desperate people intersect with the Son of God? Well, we find that dignity is restored. We see that dignity is restored. I'm going to pick up the story in the middle of verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So here's the central story. Here's the interrupted story. A woman who's had uterine hemorrhaging for 12 years. 12 long years. According to Leviticus chapter 15, a person who has an issue of blood like this is unclean. Which means she's outcast. Which means she can't have social interactions. It means she can't go worship in the synagogue or the temple. It means she can't be touched. It means she can't marry or stay married. We don't know her situation. But we do know that, all, that she is defined by her disease. For 12 years, she has spent all her money trying to get better. But instead of getting better, she's gotten worse. It hasn't helped. And so, all we know about this woman is that she has no name, she has no money, she has no position, she has no status, she has no dignity, she has nothing. She is absolutely desperate to find a solution to her problem. She will go anywhere, do anything, talk to anyone if she could find a solution to the curse that has cast her out of society. Have you ever been that desperate? So desperate to do anything. For her, all hope presumably had been lost until she had heard the stories of a man who had started to heal people. All of a sudden, hope that had died bloomed in her heart, and she's concocting a plan. She can't go face-to-face with Jesus. Her uncleanness, her shame... That won't allow her to go face to face in boldness, so she decides she's going to sneak up through the crowd in the back and somehow touch, just touch, the hem of his garment. That may have been, that idea may have been a quasi-superstitious belief that was prevalent at the time, that power would be transmitted to the clothes of a person with power. But regardless of her motivation, regardless of how misplaced her faith may have been, that was her plan. And so she sneaks up through the crowd. Here's Jesus moving with Jairus to Jairus' house. And she sneaks up behind Jesus and she touches him. And immediately, not an hour later, not tomorrow, immediately, she's healed. She knows it. She knows that the issue has dried up. And it worked. Like in her mind, fireworks are going off. Like, hallelujah, this worked. I'm going to sneak right back out. Oh, but Jesus had other plans. Notice verse number 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, 'Um, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus stops. Power has gone out from him. And so he asked, Who touched my garments? You know, if you've ever been to a sporting event or a concert, you know, when when the crowd is thronging, when it's packed, like you're standing there, you're trying to do whatever you're trying to do, but like everybody's around you, they're touching you, personal space is like non-existent, like you're trying to go this way and they're pushing you this way. The word pressed, the throng, the crowd pressed against Jesus, that's what it means. And the disciples are like, "Um, Jesus, like everybody's touching you? Like, they're scratching their head. By the way, in Luke, it says Peter asked that question. Of course it's Peter, right? <laughs> of course, of course it's Peter. Jesus, everybody's touching. No, Jesus is not deterred. Who touched me? Why is Jesus so adamant about finding out who touched him? You see, there are some here. Perhaps this is not the service. It's probably the 830 service. So, uh, but there are some who come who want a casual contact with Jesus. They're like the crowd. They just want to be around Jesus, rub shoulders with Jesus, and exit. Like, like if they just come to church, or do devotions, or check the box, like that, that's enough for a blessing, right? Right? Now, if you think that way, let me just tell you, that is not the heart of Jesus. There are others who are like this woman. They want a quick fix. They want to come in, get their blessing, and go out. Like, there's some of you sitting right here who've snuck in the back. You find your blessing, and you leave. No contact, no community, no relationship, nothing. You sneak in, and you sneak out. Like I said, it's not you guys. It's the 830 service. So, you know, go with it. Jesus is not interested in that kind of a relationship. He's not interested in a touch-and-run blessing. Jesus is not interested in speed dating you. He wants a long-term relationship with you and with me and with this woman. That's what he's interested in. He wants a meeting with you and with me. In fact, one commentator put it this way. He said, in the kingdom of God, miracles and blessings are not an end to themselves. They lead to meeting. Discipleship is not simply a matter of getting one's needs met. It is growing in the presence of Jesus, being known by him, and following him on his terms. Jesus is not wanting you to touch and run. He wants a meeting with you to build a relationship with you. So Jesus stops the crowd and says, who touched me? He's demanding a meeting and the woman realizes she's been caught. She realizes she can't sneak back out of the crowd like she planned. And she comes forward in fear and in trembling and you can't blame her, can you? She's been suffering with this trauma, with this curse for 12 long years. The very fact that she's in the crowd would have been grounds for severe punishment. No wonder she's afraid. And yet she comes quaking to Jesus and spills everything. And did you notice in verse 34 what Jesus says to her? He doesn't scold her. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't punish her. He calls her daughter. Daughter. It's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus calls Someone, daughter. You see, this woman has had no one, no one, call her such an affectionate term in 12 years. And Jesus calls her daughter. Then he says to her, your faith has made you well. I'm going to just tell you that I think that phrase, made you well, can also be translated saved. Because later Jesus tells her that her faith has healed her. Jesus never repeats himself twice. So in this part of the dialogue with her, what Jesus is saying is, daughter, your faith not only has healed you, which it has, but it has saved you as well. Go in peace. Shalom. This woman who just wanted a healing got so much more than she bargained for, didn't she? She got to be called daughter. This unwanted, unlovable, unhuggable, untouchable woman has now been loved, touched, whole, and invited into the kingdom of God. Her dignity has been restored. Friends, I don't know what you're going through this morning. Maybe like this woman, you're facing some physical challenges. Or perhaps it's not physical for you. Perhaps for you it's relational. But perhaps it's not that either. Maybe it's the challenges of your past, the things that you have done, your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups that have caused you to feel that you have no dignity, that you're unworthy, that you're unlovable. But my friends, I'm here to tell you, Jesus loves you just the way you are. With all of your mess, with all of your hurt, with all of your pain, Jesus loves you. And he has come to bring his kingdom here on earth so that you can be part of his kingdom. And he is the one that removes our shame, removes our guilt, removes our sorrows. And he clothes us as sons and as daughters. And he invites us to come to be his children so that he can rule and reign over our lives. Because he is the king of his kingdom. Amen? He restores dignity. He touches the untouchable. He loves the unlovable. He's our Jesus. So that's the interruption. The interruption is a woman who was so desperate to try anything, and she gets a meeting with Jesus that turns her life upside down. But we need to come back to the first story. When we come back to the first story, what we find is that in the kingdom of God, life is resurrected. That life is resurrected. I am starting in verse number 35. While he was still speaking there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So here is Jesus on his way to Jairus. Can you imagine being Jairus? Just put yourself in Jairus's shoes. You've come from home, you've found Jesus, You've you've like, you've abased yourself before him you're begging him at his feet to come heal your daughter who's dying she's clinging to death and he's agreed he's on his way and all of a sudden he stops you're like jesus 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 we gotta go jesus uh jesus hello my daughter is hey this woman has been sick for 12 years what's another hour gonna do right that's what i'm thinking she can wait another hour. My daughter is sick. That's more important. That's urgent. Jesus, come on. Can't we hurry this along? Oh, don't tell me I'm the only one that thinks like that. You see, I make plans and I give God that plan and say, Lord, stamp it. I got it. Just, just bless this plan. Anybody? Oh, there's more of you than at 8.30. That's awesome. <laughs> Praise God. We make plans, and then we write out the time schedule. We said, in three months, Lord, I need this, and in four months, I'd... next week. Like, we have it all mapped out. Jesus, bless it. I find that Jesus is never worried about my problem the way I am. That bothers me because it's important to me. And I also find that Jesus is never in a hurry, ever. You know, Jesus is never early. I wish he would be. (laughs) Come on, Jesus. Can't we hurry this along? (laughs) He's also never late. He's always on time. Not my time. Not your time. His time. He's always perfectly on time. I can't imagine what Jairus must have been thinking when those people from his house came and told him his daughter had died, most likely his only child. The love of his life. You parents, you know what it would feel like if someone came to you and said, your child has died. it tore me up. I love my children. You love your children. That's not what you want. God, hurry up. Can't you move this along any faster. That interruption created a delay that caused the death of a little girl. But that delay taught Jairus and teaches you and me something about faith. Notice as we pick up the story in verse number 37, and he, that is Jesus, allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. Jesus thins the crowd to just his three closest disciples. And he goes to the house and he finds all these mockers and he kicks all of them out. All of these mockers who are scorning him for what he said. He takes his three disciples and the parents. Goes into the room where the little girl was. Takes her by the hand and says, Talitha ku. Talitha is an Aramaic word that's a tender, affectionate term that a parent would use of a child. It would translate better as little lamb like we wouldn't call our children little lamb like our children might vomit all over us (laughs) it would be better translated in our culture as sweetheart Jesus takes her hand so gently so tenderly says to her sweetheart it's time to get up and immediately suddenly she gets up 12 year old girl who was dead raised to life hallelujah life resurrected because Jesus reigns over disease and death amen friends this this little resurrection points to another resurrection It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ who after he had died and been buried rose again. And his resurrection is a picture of something that's coming in the future when all of us who are part of his family are risen from the dead to live with him forever. But in order to be at that resurrection you have to be part of the family of God today. You have to be part of his family today. Perhaps you're here and you need a spiritual resurrection today. The Bible says that we... we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God made a way through the cross of Jesus Christ where forgiveness of sins can be found through the blood of Jesus and where newness of life can be had through the resurrecting power of Jesus in our lives. And it starts by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. Won't you come into my life? Won't you forgive me, and won't you be the Lord and Savior of my life? And when that happens, he calls you son, and he calls you daughter, and he brings you into the family, and he gives you new life to be part of the kingdom of God. Amen? There's resurrection power available because Jesus is king. When we live lives of faith, and when there's evidence of new life, the only response is that the world is in amazement. The world is amazed. Notice in the middle of verse 42, it goes on to say, And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. You know, Jesus has already demonstrated his authority over creation when he stilled the storm. He already demonstrated his authority over the spiritual kingdom when he cast out the demons from that man on the other side of the lake. He's already demonstrated his authority over sickness when he cured that woman of her issue. Now, he demonstrates his authority over death by raising this little girl from the dead. And the result of raising this girl from the dead is all an amazement because this has never been done. But death is such a harsh word. Every one of us is either facing it now or will face it. If we live long enough and if Jesus delays in returning, every single one of us will have to face death. But here's the good news. Even in the face of death, Jesus is still supreme. Amen? Because Jesus arrested death. Isn't that the song we sang? Death was arrested and my life began. Where? At the cross. You see... There is awe and amazement when we live lives that bring glory to God because our lives testify to the goodness of a king who lives in our lives, working in and through us to touch the lives of people around us. Let me ask you a question. If you know Jewish law, you know that if you touch an unclean person, what do you become? Unclean. If you touch a dead person, you become did you notice Jesus was touched by an unclean person and he touched a dead girl? Not counting what happened in the cemetery on the other side of the lake. But in both of these cases that we read today, unclean people came in contact with Jesus, but did Jesus become unclean? Nope. How is that possible? It's only possible Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom, amen? You see, Jesus takes our shame. He takes our uncleanness. He takes our guilt. He takes all of the mess that we've ever made. And he hung on the cross. Nailed there not because he was guilty, because you and I were guilty. He shed every last drop of blood so that all of the wrath of God against sin could be paid by his sacrifice. And he invites you and me to come to the cross and bend our knee and to receive that free gift. Friends, it's free. You don't have to do anything. You just have to come. Jesus died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead and he is seated as king of the kingdom of God. And he rules over disease, he rules over death, he rules over the demons, he rules over nature, he rules over you, he rules over me, he rules over our circumstances, he rules over our desperate situations. It's a great place for an amen. The rest of you need to wake up. (laughs) Jesus reigns over disease and death. But keep in mind that Jesus may not choose to answer your prayer. It may be (coughs) that the disease you've come in contact with is a disease that Jesus has chosen not to heal you of. That doesn't mean that Jesus is any less than king of the kingdom still. It doesn't mean that we don't still pray and ask God to intervene in our lives. We still pray. We still ask. We still knock. The answer may be no. Or it may be yes. But friends, are we following Jesus for what we can get out of Him? Or is He enough? Is He enough? Pastor Billy told a story this past Wednesday at the pipeline study, and so I'm stealing it from him, but it's a story I couldn't stop thinking about. It was a time when he was an unbeliever. He had snuck into the back of a church and took a seat in the back row, only to find that there's an old woman who had gotten up to give a testimony, and here's what she said. She said, I want to thank my church family for praying for me because I've been battling cancer. But I just wanted to update you that the doctors have told me that they are going to stop the treatments because none of it is working. So the cancer is going to kill me if there's nothing I can do about it. She goes on to say, The thing is, I'm not dead yet, so the Lord has plans for me today. My job is to be obedient to the Lord today. And every single day he gives me breath in my lungs. Thank you for praying for courage and confidence for me and for my husband. I'm just grateful for the work that the Lord has done in my life. Jesus did not answer this woman's prayer. He took her home. But you notice in her testimony, that didn't drive her away from Jesus. it. No, it drove her closer to Jesus. It caused her to hold on to him tighter, clinging to him so that she can live for him today and every day that God gives her for his glory. Oh, that hit me. I don't have that C word, but am I even thinking along those lines? But even if we don't get a positive answer from our prayer. Can we hold on to Jesus? Every week or so, I get a, some of you do too, you get a little prayer letter in the email. Lori, so faithfully, puts this out. There are 34 line items on here, 34 line items that come from all of you, our church family. There's, well, there's cancer on here. Strokes on here. People who have fallen and broken bones on here. There's relational issues, other, all sorts of malady issues. There's a woman who had a car accident and she's gone into the hospital and she's got rods in her femur, a metal plate in one side of her pelvis, screws in her hips. This woman is in pain. But the one that got me was the very first bullet. A second grader has a brain tumor. Lori puts a hyphen and then she writes these words. God knows. God knows. God knows what you're going through. God knows what you're going God knows what you're going through. Can he answer every single one of these prayer requests, church? Okay, you didn't hear me. I'm going to say it slower. Because this is not a trick question. Can God answer every single one of these prayer requests? Yes. Yes! Absolutely! Does he have to? If he doesn't, is he still enough? Is he still worthy? Is he still king? Oh, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard. It's not easy to say those words when you're in pain. It's easy when, it's, when you're not in pain. But when your loved one is sick and they're dying and you're watching a spouse or a child waste away and you're begging God, Jesus, won't you just come and heal my child, my spouse? my friend and he says no is he still enough i hope and pray that you will say he's enough that he's still worthy of worship that he still rules over all creation that he rules and reigns over disease and over death you know why because while we may not receive that answer today and while healing may not come today. There is a day coming. Church, there is a day coming. On that day when he splits the sky, when he comes, there won't be any more disease. Amen. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more tears. There will just be Jesus and he will be enough. Amen. And on that day, we will rejoice and we will enjoy him forever. Father, Lord, we are so thankful for who you are, that you are enough that if you don't answer another prayer, you're still enough because you did the greatest thing for us that we could have ever asked and that is you saved us. You bought us out of the slave pit of death and sin and you brought us into the kingdom of light to rule and to reign together with you. And that's enough. But Father, I'm just going to selfishly pray for all of my brothers and sisters here and who are watching, even for these folks who are on this prayer list, Lord. Very selfishly, Lord, we're in pain and we need you. We're hurting and we need you. We're sick and we need you. Because you're the only answer to our problems. You're the only one who can do what we cannot do. So Lord, in the midst of our desperation, Would you intersect our lives with your power, with your glory, with your mercy and with your grace, that no matter what the answer might be, that we would hold on to you, knowing that you rule and reign over all. Father, for anyone who might be here this morning who doesn't know you, may today be the day where you rescue them out of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light that you would convict them of their sins and convince them of the truth of who you are. We'll thank you for who you are, that you are Jesus, King of the kingdom of God. And it's in his mighty, matchless, and powerful name that we pray. All God's people said, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family.